Hi, this is Karina Ganters, host of Behind the Pen, and you're listening to the audio podcast. Enjoy. your host for Behind the Pen. Welcome to another show. I am an award-winning author of 14 books. I also run Author Assist, which helps authors with their marketing and promotion. I'm the host of the Artist First uh, Network show, Author Assist, and I also a podcaster, booktuber, and a YouTuber. There you go. Today, my special guest is Nikki Flynn. Welcome to the show, Nikki. Hi, thank you. Whereabouts are you in this big old world? Ah, I don't hear a really, really strong accent. Whereabouts are you? So I love, but I'm originally from up north. Ah. And you've, you've always lived in the United States? Uh-huh. All right, okay. So behind the pen is for anyone that holds a pen. They could be an artist, an author, a illustrator, a musician editor, director, and so forth. So what is it you use your pen for, Nikki? I wear a lot of hats. I am a writer for scripts and novels, as well as I'm uh, the audio engineer for several audio fiction series, a script writer for those, a director for those, casting director and general project manager, as well as for the visual stuff, I do the like initial flat character design and coloring that I pass off to artists that are much better than myself. And I'm like, make this good. That's amazing. You really do wear some hats. Tell Thank me um, more about the, um, the script writing and the uh, directing of the series. So for the script writing, um, it depends on which universe we're in. Uh, with Olord, uh, Anthologies of Olord, I have a co-author, uh, Edwin Dantes, and he and I tend to back and forth, or one of us will be like, hey, I've got an idea for this, or I have a general concept that I want to work with, and it's this. So I want to do a crazy wizard character for an episode, and then we'll back and forth and try to think up, okay, how do we make this crazy wizard work? How do we make this crazy wizard entertaining? And what plot are we going to throw this around? And when you say anthology, I was thinking as a book, but it sounds to me like it's more visual. uh, We have a visual episode out. We have the audio out, and we do have a couple of books that are uh, on award that uh, take place there. Uh, all out and a lot of our stuff is our scripts that are published on uh, Amazon as just a way to establish uh, intellectual property ownership for them. Mm. So yeah we have uh, a lot of that going on for yes yeah he and I are both uh, fantasy writers of varying degrees of other genres mixed in and so for the script writing there's that, and then there's Fay Wraith, which 
is my own universe, which I just boil down to magic pirates. Oh, cool. <laughs> and for I'm, that one, it's just me being like, okay, what's going to happen? What happens to uh, Nikon's aunt and his friends? So how many books are you into with that uh, fantasy series? I have lost count at this point wow. off the top of my head. We have multiple, like more than five. And uh, they're all related because they're in the same universe, but some of them are individual stories that if you just pick up a random book and then you pick up another random book, unless it's part of the same like mini series, you're not gonna be completely lost. Like who's this guy? What's going on here? They're all self-contained within the universe with the gods being the overarching thing in Olard. Okay, so where did this first, um, where did the love of fantasy come from? And, and you can say Tolkien and then I'll say, yeah, well, of course. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I didn't actually learn to like Tolkien until I was uh, like much later in life after I had seen, you know, the, the movies. The Me too. His, uh, yeah, based on his books. I hadn't... Uh, even known about the books until far after that when someone was like, oh yeah, you know, they were based on book series, right? <laughs> I was then, like, what? <laughs> yeah, the fantasy love, it goes back to the earliest story I remember and I can never remember the name of it and I'm going to try to keep, like, keep trying to find it. But it was just a story about uh, the clouds in the sky and these magical fey creatures that create different shapes out of the clouds. And uh, one of the Fae sees that there's this little kid that's always looking up at the clouds and like writing down like, oh, I saw a doggy today. Oh, I saw a star today. And uh, decides that because this kid's like the only person who appreciates all the like cloud art that they were going to break the rules and like write hello to them. Oh. And, <laughs> You know, like give them something special where it's like, I see you, you appreciate me. That makes me feel good. And I just remember falling in love with that story. And I read yeah. it whenever I was in uh, what's in the United States, the third grade here, about like nine years old. And I was like, that this feels so great because it's like, even looking back on it now, I'm like, it's so innocuous to just be like fairies that make shapes in the clouds. I'm going to have to find out what that book's called just for you. I'm going to find that for you. Oh, I, I would greatly appreciate it because I want to like look back at the stuff that influenced me as a kid. Yeah. That led to everything that I write today or how I see the world today. Well, we start from somewhere. Yeah, so that's the love of fantasy for me is like, that somebody created this world where fair or real, and instead of being mischievous little creatures, they do things like, you know, paint flowers and make clouds into different shapes. That's wonderful. What about um, films and books that have inspired you after that uh, initial stage? So I remember that the first, the first movie I ever really remember watching was Lion King. And I remember just, you know, having the usual emotions uh, all throughout it, the fact that it was an emotional ride. And then I remember the want for writing coming after seeing Cinderella, which I saw after Lion King, like a couple of years later on VHS. And 
I know that any of your younger viewers are gonna be like, what in the world is that? <laughs> but uh, basically my idea, the idea came about because like my, my aunt was watching it with me whenever she was babysitting me. And I was like, well, why are the stepsisters being so mean to her? Because I'm only mean to people who are mean to me. So to me, it felt like an incomplete story. And I was like, well, you got to write that she did something to them. Like she took a dress without asking or something because this doesn't make any sense. People can't be that evil in this world. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, innocent little kid just, you know, I think I was like six or seven years old and was like, this doesn't make any sense. There needs to be some backstory here. What are you doing, Disney? And that's when you started like, I can do better than Disney. I can write my own. <laughs> necessarily better but that at least Cinderella felt so incomplete to me it's like well there needs to be some backstory for these background characters it's like who's mean just for the sake of being mean you know that's how innocent I used to be yeah I mean authors have done that they've done backstories to popular uh, Disney uh, um, films and they've done oh, yeah. um, stories based on Cinderella and what have you because they're just classic uh, well, yeah, I mean, Cinderella being Ocean Puddle uh, retold with the gore cut out of it. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, just obviously, like, Ocean Puddle itself, I'm pretty sure everything the uh, Grimm Brothers did is uh, public domain at this point. Yeah, I think so. I, I, I don't think there's anybody... Books. Yeah. I love reading yeah. them. Amazing. Oh, yeah, they're, they're wonderful and dark and beautiful, but I'm pretty sure they're still public domains. So if you want to do something based on them, I think they're safe. Cool. Um, so where did your idea first come for these um, fantasy pirates? Where did the idea come from? So for that, not exactly. I, I, I play with random weird concepts or I, I, I'll just come up with like a general character idea and it'll be born from there. So with the magic pirates, the idea came about where it's like, okay, in every world where magic is this established thing, there's often a hierarchy where it's like, oh, you know, witches do magic this way, wizards do it this way, mm -hmm. sorcerers mean this, alchemists mean this. And all of those are often played with depending on the author and depending on if they like the idea of like, you know, oh, there are like mathematicians, computer programmers, however you want to do that uh, metaphor or simile for how they relate to magic or science but I was like okay what if, what happens in a world where there isn't any magic and who the who are the first people to realize there's magic and what would really happen it was a thought experiment and I kind of figured that well it depends on that person's birth order in the world like their station that they're born into and so I took the idea of uh, somebody who is considered like a, a low-life knocker and what if they were the first person to realize <laughs> that magic exists I love that. and like what would they do with it and the idea came about that they wouldn't necessarily try to hoard it as much as they would try to exercise control over it by teaching other people about it and making themselves seem as this prophet who knew that this was going to happen. <laughs> and so that's what happens with uh, the character of Nikon Zant. And 
he experiences magic like in small bursts in his younger life, like in his late, late teens, early 20s, I think he is in uh, the audio series. And then by the time he's in his mid thirties, magic actually does return to the world. And at that point, he already has a whole bunch of people who are like poor, downtrodden, out of work, other pirates who basically, they just live from meal to meal or paycheck to paycheck if they're so lucky, who are all just like, Negan's been telling stories about magic coming back for years. This is the guy to listen to. This is the guy to follow. He's like he his knew. disciples, aren't they? They're like his disciples. Yeah they, yeah, they become his disciples. He becomes their like crazy cult leader who's really good at spinning yarns and entertaining them. Where at first they just thought it was like one of those, I caught a fish that's this big. Well, I caught one this big yeah. kind of stories. And then whenever magic returns, they're like, wait, no. And then he sets himself up as this kind of cult leader that has this following of people uh, who all are like, oh, okay, yeah, this guy. So even though he's an outlaw, he's a pirate who's wanted in uh, several counties, people are still just like, I don't know, this guy knows all about magic. I'm not going to go against him. So if there's five books, we're talking about a different adventure for each book. Mm -hmm. And that one would be for like Cool uh, Lord More Than with favorites since that one, I haven't decided how I'm breaking up the seasons exactly yet uh, for the audio for it, but uh, there's a big gap between the season one of that and book one of The Magic Pirates. But for Old Lord with it, yeah, like there would be many different storylines, character groupings and such, some of whom cross over and interact in the books or in the audio series. And there are self-contained stories that just weave into this is an event that happened on Old And that's the, the place that, where all this yeah. happens. What, how do you pronounce it again? Uh, Old Lord. Lord. Yes, it's our butchering of a Celtic word. Okay. <laughs> it's a uh, Celtic for, if I remember correctly, orchard. I've done one collaboration with an author and the way we did it, we just came together on Zoom and we, we talked about world building, a dystopian world. And after two hours, we had the plot, the characters, the story arc, everything. I mean, how did mm -hmm. it work with you, with your collaboration? So uh, my co-author there, um, I've known him for each, like more than 10 years now. He and I went to the same college, became friends oh, there, wow. are still friends. And eventually it was like between um, semesters for us. And I was really bored and was like, I haven't written anything in like months since I was an undergrad. And I am just craving that. And so I was like, let's start with the idea of just some generic like fantasy characters that could be generic D&D characters and basically started writing this particular concept and he was like well use this other character idea for in it personality traits and such and then I started writing these scenes with the character I came up with and the character he came up with interacting sent them to him as like his entertainment and then he would tell me like oh yeah I really like this or I didn't like this, I would improve this here by doing this. I like how you ordered this. 
And he initially started off as like a collaborator slash editor in that way. And then uh, eventually from there, I was just kind of like, you know, at this rate, we might as well just build a fantasy universe because we're going into exactly how all this stuff interacts and how magic works and such. We're just picking and choosing like day to day what we're working on. And so I was like, alrighty, we're going to do this. We're going to need some rules of how magic works. We're going to need some sort of a fantasy pantheon so we know what gods we have. And that's about it. We can work out like 90% of the other stuff, like characters and plots at a later point. Let's get that part of the world building done so we know how stories can resolve themselves based on how magic works. So tell me about this world then. So we decided it was going to be a, uh, what TV tropes calls uh, clap your hands if you believe. And that is that the more you believe in the gods or magic in what you're doing, like your willpower is how strong you actually are. And so that was the basis for it is, okay, I fully believe in all the gods and I know their domains and I'm channeling this god's essence while casting this spell. So like, you know, I'm casting the invisibility spell while I'm channeling the god of deception. It's gonna work. And somebody who's like, I'm not even sure if the gods exist, but what are those magic words again? Uh. You know, it might work for a few seconds, but the person who's like, no, Pramod, I know you exist. You are going to help me cast the spell. They're going to turn invisible and like stay invisible for a long time until they want it to wear off. And that was the basis for all the casters. And then we decided that we wanted to take what is like the charisma stat for um, a lot of game, uh, games like D&D and various other, um, nothing else is immediately come to, coming to mind that has personality as a, uh, a trait, but for that, we wanted to differentiate it. And so we came up with the idea of people who are blessed by the gods and then took it a step further and made them consecrated. Uh, there are a few people who are blessed by three or more gods, and this gives them a sort of magical divinity in that they can pretty easily tap into that god's domain and use that magic. They're a lot more charismatic and a lot of people are magnetically drawn to them, even if they can't explain why. And they're immune to each other, but a lot of them end up getting like power hungry and so they end up becoming their own self-destruction. Mm. And the gods tend to do this for entertainment, entertainment to see yeah. how it plays out. <laughs> so uh, describe like uh, where these people, where these characters live. What is, what is the world looking like? So it depends a lot on exactly where you are in the world because there are a lot of different territories and over years and years, like boundaries and borders went up, wars happened, some places completely disappeared, and you had cultures wiped out and such, uh, modeling that, of course, after the real world and just looking back at our own history, where it's like, there's no way that you're going to have a peaceful world and not have some sort of bloody history. We couldn't think of any way to make that work. And... So you have like uh, the Druid domains where they all are, uh, they all believe that they are direct descendants of the nature goddess and they preserve nature 
and they go against anybody who tries to harm nature. And they have set territories and within their own uh, kingdoms there, they have their own hierarchies. And one of them, they have, they had tried to be uh, more open and then that backfired on them. And so they're becoming very uh, closed off borders except to other Druids policy. You have another one where they have a very open border, but that also lets in a lot of trading and a lot of bandits who try to rob the caravans. And that creates a lot of crime that the royal family there has to deal with. And then you have the ones that are all the way so far up north that the only uh, druids that actually do the praying to the goddess to keep the plants alive are the royal family. Everybody else are workers uh, like fishermen or servants of the royal family that uh, keep things going smoothly. That's just and, the uh, druids. And that's just the druids. Oh my gosh. Yeah, wow. there's, uh, yeah there's also these, the, uh, there's a conquering race called the Sama and they basically fell in love with magic and they want to assimilate all magic within their bloodlines. And they go around collecting tomes, uh, watching sorcerers use magic that they've never seen before, trying to learn spells, trying to learn how these runes work. And if all else fails with the assimilation, they try to conquer the people who have the magic to force them to assimilate. Mm. That has been a mixed bag for them over the years as they've tried this, because they've most recently tried to conquer the gemstone elves, who believe that gemstones are the key to all life and their magical powers, and that gemstones grow like flowers do. And how, so, like, I mean, how long have you been building this world? Because I mean, it sounds like it's not even finished yet. <laughs> it's not finished in that, like we realize that we can keep it going until like the world itself just disappears from, you know, a supernova sun. But it's a continuous timeline. We've been building it since 2013, 2014 or so. Wow. Yeah, and that's just the, since this has been established as our collaborative world, because he and I were both writers individually before this, just working on our own little projects and ideas here mm -hmm. and there. So we've been at it for a while. And so we have all this lore and such and backstory that goes into our stuff. That is a, as you could tell, we put a lot of time and effort in fine tuning into this. And this is just telling you about like some of the races. I mean, how, uh, once say, say your first novel, I mean, how many pages are we talking? Um, so the first uh, one that we made was a uh, more novella sized. Oh. So it was one of the shorter ones. I think it's something like 18,000 or so. Oh, right. or 20, like an introduction or so. into. Yeah, it's, um, it would be one of the links that I gave you, uh, the gifting spirit. Mm -hmm. And it's, um, it follows uh, the first group that we had thought up the first characters uh, that we thought up for Olord in it. And one of them is a, uh, she's a bard and traveling performer. And the other one, he is a scholar and he likes myths and he travels around just writing stories based, based on the myths of the world. And 
they hear a story about the gifting spirit, which is the old Lord version of Santa Claus. And uh, he goes to just catalog, okay, everybody who's like, okay, this is what the gifting spirit is. And he goes to interview people, write down what they have to say about it, and talk to anybody who claims to have seen the creature the same way that you might have somebody who was like, oh yeah, I've totally seen like you know, a chupacabra or tooth fairy, yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh no, I totally caught Santa Claus. Like there was actually a guy who came down my chimney and was putting presents under my tree. Like the same way that whether you believe this person or not, you're gonna wanna talk to them if you're writing a book on this. And so he goes to do that and he starts trying to scientifically approach it and tries to rule out the possibility that it's just a, a myth and does not actually exist. And he does so by thinking up every logical explanation for all the stories that he hears and putting them to a test, like uh, somebody breaking into the houses. He has his rogue friend, uh, former thief, uh, come with him and see if any of the houses were broken into by uh, any proof of lock picking. And uh, the thief basically is like, yeah, no, there's no scratches on the locks. There's nothing that there, this house was not broken into. Mm -hmm. So he takes that approach and he keeps repeatedly trying to see whether or not this creature actually exists. And then ultimately writes a story about this magical creature that shows up and gives people what they need in order to survive. Okay, so we've got the collaboration series and we've got the uh, Magic Pirates. What's, mm -hmm. what's next? Basically, whatever I think of. <laughs> yeah, one of the other ones that I had sent you, um, I threw it together like over, I think it was like two weeks or so. It's a pretty short one as well, only something also like 20,000 words. Um, and just the basic idea came about from Egyptian mythology in this case. Mm. So it's very loosely based on Egyptian mythology and a couple of others that have a tie into the spiritual world, the afterlife. Wonderful. And what happens to you after you die, so. Did you do research for this or did you know about Egyptian, uh, Egyptian mythology? I uh, knew about it already. I just double checked like the spelling of uh, some of the gods' names and such and uh, the name of the creature that depending on uh, who's telling the myth and what era you're looking at, if they eat the heart of the person who fails the test or if they like, uh, you know, drag them to the underworld, you know, uh, whichever version of it it is, uh, I double checked uh, the spelling of her name and things like that. But I already knew uh, roughly how the test is done, you know, which gods oversee it. And is, that, that. is that from, from hobby or from actual um, uh, education that you um, learned about? Uh... So it's a, um, it's a mixture of them because I'd always liked Egyptian myth and Egyptian history. And in, oh gosh, what was it? Eighth grade for one year and sixth grade uh, for a different school I was in. They, uh, we went through like all the ancient world history, like wrapped up in just one year of school. Mm -hmm. And the Egyptian myth and the Egyptian history was one where it's just like, oh my gosh, yes, tell me about this. I love it so much. And so I tended to remember a lot of that since 
a lot of the history that's taught with the Egyptians is their mythology and their beliefs on the afterlife and mummification mm -hmm. and the pyramids. Fascinating, really is. So you go mm -hmm. into a whole totally different uh, um, world of, of writing when it comes to something like that. Same with Greek mythology, it's just a whole mm -hmm. different ball game. But, um, yeah, because uh, the Egyptians, they, you know, their their gods. You obviously have the ones that they have like their concepts of this is the god of the afterlife, and uh, you know, they, this is the god of fire or the river and things like that. And then you end up with what is like the the first like uh, I don't even know what to call it because sitcom dramedy and like every uh, genre mixed together for Greek myth because they had a little bit of everything. There's romance, there's betrayal, there's everything. So what are you working on now, Nikki? I am working on a couple of uh, the audio fiction episodes getting wrapped up. Um, going to be doing some manner of a casting call in the next few weeks. Uh, because of uh, COVID and uh, how it kind of shut the world down and a lot of our actors having uh, primary jobs that they had to do to keep food on the table during COVID, we ended up slowing down our production time and we're still on a very slow schedule for that with um, me tapping like one or two people on the shoulder and just being like, hey, hey, I need you to record these lines. And, uh, so that's moving relatively slowly right now, and I'm working on a book two to follow the Egyptian myth one, just to uh, kind of expand it because I liked where I went with it after I started mm -hmm. actually just pitter-pattering away. And uh, for Old Lord stuff, we are working on what are the days in the life of each individual god. No, and uh, it's going to be little, and, uh, little novellas sort of thing. Yeah, working on it as like little novellas that also have uh, corresponding audio episodes to go along with them because uh, overall the gods are our most popular characters. Mm. And um, that's usually like a, a handful of, so it depends on who you're asking. For the general fans, uh, the god of deception tends to be the preferred god because, you know, he's the trickster god. Trickster, Everybody loves yeah. the trickster god. And his actor is such a ham whenever he's performing as him that everybody's like, oh my gosh, he's my favorite character. I love him. Uh, whenever it comes to the uh, actors, including some of those who voice other gods, uh, it tends to be the god of order who's their favorite. But that's because there's like one behind the scenes secret episode that was made that they have heard in which um, the basic idea of it uh, is that uh, one of the clerics of the goddess of life or death, the life and death, she gets, or he gets asked um, where do babies come from? <laughs> and he's like, um, okay, I actually know the answer to this question. But how do I tell this to a little child? And he's sitting there uh, just kind of being like, okay, um, uh, how do I handle this with fact? Oh gosh. And it's just, 
repeatedly thinking that and a couple of the gods are just kind of watching and they're like and this is one of your clerics you're supposed to know about life and so the conception of life and the the goddess of life is like well yeah but i mean this is kind of an awkward situation how are we supposed to explain this and the god of order is like hang on and then he comes back and he's like i've got sock puppets for this <laughs> it sounds like you've got more fans uh, enjoying the audio version of the books than you do with the actual novels. So we have a, um, a handful of people who like both, but I think overall, more of the people that we end up talking to are the ones who are more familiar with the audio. Wow, that is fantastic. Yeah, and that's usually a lot of our actors who like listening to audio fiction and such like that. So whenever an episode comes out that they're in, they're like, gotta go listen, gotta go listen. That's amazing. Nikki, where can people find your books online and, of course, your audio episodes? So all our books are on uh, Amazon, published through Kindle Direct Publishing. uh, And our audio stuff can be found on basically any platform where that I'm aware of at least where you can find podcasts. I know that we have a lot of people who listen on um, the Apple one, Spotify itself, Stitcher, uh, Pocket Cast, all those we distribute to all that. YouTube, obviously, uh, our stuff on Patreon, you get to hear it early, Uh, SoundCloud, we're everywhere. Wonderful. And uh, what about just finding you on social media? So we are on Twitter, we have a Facebook, and uh, we do have a Discord that uh, everybody is welcome to join. Trying to think of everything else considered social media that we have, because some people are like, oh, SoundCloud's totally social media. <laughs> so, so we have social, we have, uh, we have uh, the two big ones, Facebook and Twitter, for, you know, book, uh, books and the audio. Wonderful. And YouTube, some people consider social media. I don't know, that one's kind of odd to consider social media to me well um nikki it's been wonderful just getting into your head a little bit because uh, i mean we need a a lot of time to really get into um the world building and your characters and the the two different uh, because it's totally different worlds that you're writing in all the time plus Uh of course um with your audio it's um amazing what you've done Um, You're very, very talented. I wish you all the best with uh, future uh, episodes and future novels that you write by yourself or with uh, your co-partner. Thank you so much. Thank you for coming on as a guest on Behind the Pen. Thank you for having me.